Welcome to the Nostalgia Test Podcast, the show where two longtime friends put their mainstream pop culture past to the ultimate test, the Nostalgia Test. That was, that much. That was, I don't know. That's never happened with any of the computers. Any of the computers that I've used, it's never happened. That was annoying, and I'm pissed because I wanted to use that mic. Yeah. But now that I'm on uh, my phone, that ain't happening. <laughs> I'm glad I have to res- I had to resort to be on my phone. So <laughs> that's some shit. This is how you record a bi coastal podcast, everybody. <laughs> Are you recording? You're recording. Oh, yeah. Funny. Okay. Wow. I'm sweating. Uh, Damn, I'm sweating. Oh my I'm trying to get the stupid wires to be. I wanted to use this nice new mic. Uh, and of course, both computers. Uh, and uh, now I'm on, I'm on a phone. I'm on a phone. And you're getting better reception and better bandwidth. Oh, much better. On a phone. It's smooth. Maybe it's the mic. I don't know. Would that mess up bandwidth? Or? Uh, I don't even know. And then if it's not Bluetooth, I don't know. Whatever. Maybe wow. like everyone's using the internet right now. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Welcome everybody back to another episode of the, <laughs> the Nostalgia Test Podcast. I'm Dan Dissinger in LA and uh, here with my co-host there in New York, Manny Coelho. Manny, how you doing? Manny, Manny Coelho. Uh, I'm good, man. Good. It's a good day. It's my mom's birthday. Oh. Celebration today, so it was it was a good day. Got to watch some really good films for our future episodes and the episode that we're about to talk to today. So oh, I'm good. The episode we're about to about do it. today just hit right in the heart. It's uh, we're talking about the uh, 1993 American coming of age comedy film, The Sandlot. This film takes place in the summer of 1962, where the brainy reserve fifth grader, Scotty Smalls, moves with his parents to the San Fernando Valley, where it's very difficult for him to make friends. He's total, I guess you would call him a nerd, but I mean, I guess these days he would be considered, you know, probably top of the list now. I mean, nerds run the world. Hipster. Yeah, he'd be a hipster now, absolutely. And he ends up being friends with, best friends with Benny, Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez, and then which is said like a hundred times, by the way, a <laughs> hundred times. Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez was said, <laughs> you could do a drinking party, a oh. drinking game, to the amount of times all three names of this man's name—not Benny, not just Ben Frank, but Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez—was said a lot. Oh my God! Throughout this movie, God. this guy had a bromance oh. with this guy. Yes, and this stars David Mickey Evans, Tom Geary, Mike Vitar, Karen Allen, Dennis Leary, which I have a lot to say about, and James Earl Jones, who, of course, James Earl Jones shows up in another baseball film. Shout out to James Earl Jones being in Field of Dreams as well. This movie was budgeted at $7 million, and it made $34.3 million. And because of that, it spawned two sequels, Sandlot 2 and Sandlot 3, which I never saw and I don't think I'll ever see. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even know they had it. No idea. I had no idea that they had a second or third one. And I watched the preview and I was like, okay, so you basically just recycled the first one, which is usually what 
you know, money-making sequels are made of, and you just added a girl to it, because now people probably complain the amount of times you made fun of girls in the first movie, which we'll get into. So they needed to put a second girl in there, because they used the same joke in the second one, but then that joke is politically corrected. So (laughs) it's pretty interesting. Any other facts? Dan man, facts man. Right, not right now. I think I have a couple other things I think waiting in the wings as we're talking uh, about the Sandlot. But I guess I'm curious. You know, your what are your memories of the Sandlot? Or is this a movie that you saw a bunch, or that was part of your life as deeply as I guess it was part of mine? First off, yeah, to all, I, I, this movie was deep in my life. I didn't love baseball, but I love baseball movies for some reason. Like. I, I really lo- enjoy baseball movies, and especially this one. I like coming of age film. I like that it's a little bit of comedy. It definitely had like, you know, the sports like uh, Mighty Ducks era. I mean, some of the people that were in this was from the Mighty Ducks crew. Uh, oh, so it seems like a lot of them were all like following each other, little kids uh, around that time. Uh, none of these actors seem to have gone anywhere after a certain amount of movies. But um, uh, I I like coming of age films kind of like a light-hearted uh lean on me type is it lean on me i uh, know uh, yeah, um stand by me yeah uh, lean on me was uh a free mr clark that was a whole other movie definitely not lean on me it's definitely stand by me yeah no stand by <laughs> me um love the movie when i was watching it right from the get-go i, I love the setting I love the narration. I love him uh, walking into his work spot. Not really sure how he became the announcer, but I thought it was cool. I liked it. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I agree with everything you're saying. Baseball films are such a big part of my movie watching, and The Sandlot was definitely is definitely up there. This movie came out in '93. The Mighty Ducks came out in 92, Mighty Ducks 2 came out in 1994, and then Mighty Ducks 3 1996. There was a big movement of sports movies just right there in that, like, 92 to 96, like, where there was just so many of them. You're right. A lot of the kids that were in this film, or a few of them at least, were in the Mighty Ducks, which was so interesting. I think Benny, the kid that played Benny, was in Mighty Ducks 2. Um, and 3. Yeah. And 3. He was Luis Mendoza. The guy who could skate but couldn't stop. He had some speed. That's um, right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> around, that st- around this time, man, there was a lot of kids' sports movies. So yeah. it was like, you know, it was always like the ragtag kids. Uh, but this one, was, this one was interesting because no adults were really involved. No, there were like zero adults. Yeah. Oh, and Little Giants. Yeah, 1994. Look at that. No adults were really part of it. They played the smallest part of the whole thing. What a great coming-of-age story. I loved it. I think, to me, it was just so great to kind of see it again. And we'll get more into that, I guess, as we you know move forward in this episode. But, I mean, right off the bat, you're right. It sets everything up beautifully. And... I connected to this kid's story right away only because, you know, because I actually did move during that time period in my childhood. In the middle of fifth grade, I went from living in Ozone Park, Queens, to then moving to Long Island and having to then be forced to make friends 
right at the end of fifth grade, which it's not easy. So to me, this story like hit home for me. And I, I definitely connected right to the challenge of making friends right off the bat and being kind of the out, an outsider as well. And, and also learning a sport that I never played before. Because living in Queens, living in Oslo Park, you don't have roller hockey. That doesn't exist. That, that wasn't even on the radar in my world. Moving to Long Island, everyone was on skates. Everyone was on rollerblades and everyone was playing roller hockey. And that was like a sport that I had to learn and actually did. And it kind of like opened up a whole world of friends for me, which is so interesting that much like this kid's life, how playing baseball gave him an opportunity to make all these new friends. Same thing happened to me where like learning roller hockey and learning to play hockey and skate gave me an opportunity to make all these new friends. So that, that to me, like I connected right to that right away. Uh, wow. I mean, first time I heard that. <laughs> Yeah. That's crazy. I kind of just connected it to, I mean, I always played sports growing up. I think I just like playing sports to hang out with people. Uh, so I thought that was really cool, but I was always in like the little league stuff. But I guess like growing up, yeah, roller hockey was my thing, especially on Long Island. Yeah, like Mineola, that's all we really did on the streets. So that's why I loved Mighty Ducks. But this was different because I did focus on just the kids. The Mighty Ducks is also about, you know, a, you know, alcoholic, drug, a drug addict or whatever coach who needed to do good and then ends up having a really good heart because of stuff that happened. It's really about Coach Bombay, where this was really just about this one summer, you know, not just this one kid, but the one summer where they all kind of made like yeah. memories, like the, the memories that made that group. And even though they had lost somebody a year before, the other kid moved away and yeah. Smalls took over the space. They, this became the one, the one summer that made that group because they never replaced everybody afterwards. So I thought it was great. Just reminded me of just like doing stupid things as kids and like, uh, you know, going by, on bike rides and going to the pool. I mean, I, I thought it was so much fun. Yeah. Such a great film. Yeah, I love that it was the absence of adults because you're right. In Mighty Ducks, the story is mainly almost about Emilio Estevez, where in this one, it's just about the kids. It's about their summer. I think that has a lot to do with it being taking place there in like 1962, right? It's almost like little rascals with baseball. So mm -hmm. you have that idea, like these kids have their own world and their own group, their own like folklore and legends of the dogs, you know, that the beasts and everything. Yeah. You have that and they, and they have, first of all, they have a tree house in the sandlot, which I wish there okay, was. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to comment, I'm comment. <laughs> Go ahead. It's, it's actually not in the sand. It, um, I kind of got obsessed uh -huh. with that. It's not in the sandlot. It's in someone's backyard that's adjacent to the sandlot. The sandlot is the backyard of that backyard because they go back and forth into this fence, right? And when they're in the treehouse doing all of the stuff at the end, yeah. it's better grass. The grass is cut and there's all of a sudden a swing set. Now, if you look, I went through a whole, a whole rabbit hole of this whole thing. Um, <laughs> some people were thinking that it was attached to the sandlot. And that, that was a plot hole. It wasn't. Some believe that it was Timothy, the twin, the, the brother who had the repeating brother. Yeah. It was him. It was his house. And he and then the brother built the tree house that was next door to Myrtle's yard. And they both shared the sandlot as their backyard. Now, 
none of that was ever said. It's just speculated. But if you watch, the grass is just so much nicer when they're in that backyard. And it does focus a lot on Timothy. Like, you know, when the vacuums blow up and stuff and like yeah. he comes out and he's like, we're doing, we're doing this all wrong. But I want to yeah. know this, Dan. Go ahead. Where the hell is his mother? Okay, you can't tell me she's at work because back then I don't want to be, you know, maybe she was one of the working women. But right. most mothers back then in suburbs worked, maybe, and most of them were, were housewives. How were they letting this all happen what? in their yeah. backyard? That, that question also leads me to how, I mean, spoiler alert, James Earl Jones, is that's his junkyard or whatever, his house and his dog, and he's blind. Yeah. But he says to them, I was wondering who's making all this racket out here. Well, you didn't come out to check. Like there's yeah. explosions. There's, <laughs> there's like the, the dog is like chasing things. And there's like a huge erector set coming into the yard. I mean, obviously he can't see it, but there's things happening and he didn't bother to get up and just walk to the back. But you're right. Like where are the parents? Where's at least the moms? Three vacuum cleaners exploded. A, yeah, someone doesn't have a vacuum cleaner. Someone they didn't get that from a junkyard. No, they didn't get that from a junkyard. At the same time, though, and we're—I mean, we just jumped all the way to that. That the, 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 the <laughs> well, because you brought up that plot hole. Well, that treehouse yeah. is next door to Myrtle's. I okay, it's not part of the sandlot. Okay, but okay, but wait a second. When. Benny, oh wait, but then that, oh, you're right. Maybe it is because Benny, I'm thinking, I was thinking like the treehouse is there because when Benny jumps over the fence and then comes back, but they're not in the treehouse at that moment. They're just in the sandlot. Because mm-hmm. so he says sandlot, sandlot. All right, so let's go back. Okay, let's so go we got to go back. I have, jumped ahead. I have. Okay, this takes place in the valley, right? So right California. 19, California, 1962. Okay, he has his stepfather, Bill, who he calls dad and Bill back and forth plenty of times throughout the movie. The crazy part about it is like um, the mother is the only, probably only female part in this movie the whole time. You don't really see a female other than his mother. And he even brings up like, he didn't know who Babe Ruth was, but the mother did. Yeah. Um, and she's like, and she's an adult girl. So like, there was like a big thing about these kids were just kids. Like there was no girls involved they were still they hadn't even thought about girls like they're just fifth graders who were just hanging out with each other there was nothing well one of them thought about girls but there was like you didn't really bring it up that much there was no other mention really about girls except when they made fun of them that they can't you know when they use that as like making fun of each other the movie was just about these kids i mean you could look into it more and think be like oh well, where the hell were the parents? Yes, this movie would not be a real thing. Like, this couldn't exist because no. parents no. would need to know where the hell these kids are. Well, Unless because yeah. they were all so happy that Timmy lived there and they were just playing in the backyard and Timmy's mom, who never shows up anywhere, might be drinking in her living room. And it was like, yeah, yeah, they're here. Don't worry about it. They use my bathroom when they have to use it because they play nine hours of baseball all day long. So, yeah, Timmy's mom is an alcoholic, and we just didn't see it. <laughs> Timmy's mom is an alcoholic. <laughs> but then, but you see, this is the thing. We're looking at it from 
2020, right? That like where are these kids' parents? Maybe yes. in 1952, when the kid when kids went out, they were just like, just be back at this time, whatever. We don't care where you're going. Because I mean, there were times where like I took my bike out and I told my parents, I'll see you, and then I was out. Because there were no cell phones, there's no nothing. They I guess don't care, or they just realize like the world is safe enough for these kids to run around although i have a real question about how safe it is for like the only black friend that they have in 1962 to be running around this town which looks like there's only white people live there so i'm really scared for that kid but that kid doesn't <laughs> he gets no character development at all at all we just know he's there and he can he pitches that's it and whatever that would be a very crazy serious film then you you have to play on like how was that you know, the heater, you know, he, the pitcher, what was his life like at home and going through the streets? Cause I'm sure in 1962 was not a good time. Yeah. The, uh, civil, yeah, the civil rights scary. act in 1965. So you have like a real, like you have these like things that you have to consider, but again, even if you're in California, exactly. Yeah. But what's funny is that, we see that as a problem that like these kids have no parental guidance. They're just going out every day. Well, my dad has told me stories where him and his friends would just like ride their bikes around and just go, whatever, we're doing this thing. Or, oh, the Civil Rights Act signed 1964. Um, but where are their parents? But that's because no one worried about their parents. No one worried about the parents. The parents, parents were just thinking that the world was safe so that they, you know, they were allowed to just run around, I guess, which is really interesting. But again, but uh, Dennis Leary is the stepfather. I am stuck on that forever. Because he's Dennis Leary. He's Dennis Leary. He's no cure for cancer, Dennis Leary. He is, uh, I'm an asshole, Dennis Leary. He is, you know, and then here he is playing this kid's stepdad. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, that's just Dennis Leary. <laughs> I can't get over it. I can't get over it. I mean, he did play kind of an asshole. He kind of could give two shits about smalls for a little while he's like yeah yeah okay we'll teach you we'll teach you how to play baseball there could have been more character development there but then it kind of goes back to what this movie is really about it's just about the kids and i and i agree now that you're saying like back then you 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 know you weren't so overbearing on kids like you know right now everybody would have a cell phone attached to them where are you how come you're not coming home like then it was like you went out you went out like bikes in the front yard you know you knew where everybody was where those bikes were dropped yeah and you know that's what you did you weren't so scared all the time maybe they were really just somewhat safe town that they were just like you know that's what they did they just passed the time by playing with like playing baseball so you know very small town different times but I guess, like, my question, did Dennis Leary purposely throw the cur- a curveball at that kid's face and hit him in the, in the eye so that he didn't have to throw a ball with him anymore? Because yes. after... <laughs> no, no, no he, like, yes, he totally did. <laughs> so he beamed his Dude, if you look at his face. If you look at it the, right before he throws that, he looks at the time, and he realizes that he has a half hour to play with this child. And he's like, yeah, we're going to end this soon. So he throws it at the kid's face hoping either the kid's going to catch it because in the end, he like so nonchalantly is like, at least you caught it. (laughs) I'm an asshole. (laughs) He should have just started singing that song. I mean, that means like he, he was looked at his watch and he's just like, my only way out 
is if I throw this ball at the stepson's head and hopefully knock him out a little bit so we can get so I can get back to work. And I don't know what work that is. I have no idea what Dennis Leary does. He does something that's really important, I guess, and so important that he never tells his stepson who Babe Ruth is, the ball that he had that Babe Ruth signed. He never tells him anything about anything. How did these conversations never happen between you and your stepson? How? I don't get it. I, I thought it was a, like when he was putting the trophy room together because they moved there. Yeah. If you notice, like Smalls goes in and he's kind of watching his stepdad put all these things away. And, you know, he looks, Bill looks right back at him like, what the hell are you looking? Like, this is my room. And right there is like, he had a chance to be like, hey, do you want to talk about all the things that I'm putting up? No. Yeah. He was just like, this is my room. Get the hell away. Yeah. Like, and, you know, like, ah, I only just really wanted to hang out with your mother and, you know, you're a little erector set kid who yeah. I don't really want to talk to. I have nothing to do with you. There could have been a whole other movie with that, you know, and then you could have made that movie more about Dennis Leary growing up and becoming a better father. But they stuck yeah. with just the kids. All right. So just to fast forward, he's outside. Right before that, that was like Boom Benny. Well, I got to give it to Smalls. He showed up to them playing a game. Yeah. Like, just showed up and he just sat in the outfield. That's gutsy, man. Like, new kid, don't even know, like, what these kids are about. You just heard that they play baseball. And, mm-hmm. you, like, first of all, you creepily follow them. And you just stand in the outfield. And then Benny, you got to give him for, like, being a really nice, like everyone else is kind of a dick, and Benny's a really nice guy, and wow. he's got endless pockets. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> I'm so glad because <laughs> he has a new glove in his pocket. He gives him a new glove. Then on the way home, he gives him a new hat. Where was he holding this hat and this glove? Where, where was it? Where were these? Oh, don't worry. Hold on. Here, here's a new hat. Where did you get the hat from? He wasn't wearing and, it. And no, he was never wearing a hat, really. Sometimes he wore a hat, but most of the time you needed to see Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez's hair. He had the best hair of yeah. all the kids, and he always had to show it off. Right? So, and he was the best dressed. First of all, I want to know what Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez's father does, because out of all the kids, he seemed to be the one that has the most money. He had two hats, two gloves, the baseballs most of the time, yeah. the bat. None of the kids really chipped in on anything. No, None of them. No. None of them. And in fact, when they did lose the ball, and they try, you know, we're skipping ahead just real quick. I just need to get this in. When they had the Ford's Babe Ruth signature on a ball, here's the problem with that. When they hit the ball over the fence, they said, well, we don't have any money to get another ball. And then all of a sudden they bought another ball. The reason they, they said, got the ball with the Babe Ruth signature on it is because they said, oh, day's over. We don't have money to get a ball. And then they immediately went and bought another ball yeah. to forge a Babe Ruth signature on it. What? <laughs> well, Benny, Benny called them and said, like, yo, let's, t- let's go get some bottles. Let's go get spares change. And they were able to do it. Maybe they should have done that before. They wouldn't have gotten into the pickle that they got into, which, by the way, is the word of the movie, the pickle. It starts off with a pickle. They scream pickle, pickle all the time. Pickle, 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 pickle. Okay. It should have not been called the Sandlot. It should have been called the pickle. 
because what do they call that's the pickle. Okay. It is the word <laughs> the whole time, and it is literally the thing that happens at the end. He's in a pickle. There's pickles every. Someone should have been the son of a pickler, and they should. Yeah. <laughs> no one ate a pickle at all. No, and they start off with Ham screaming pickle when Rodriguez is going back and forth trying to steal home again. Uh, foreshadowing, a little foreshadowing in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. But yo, I gotta say, like, dude, this whole movie is great. Like, just even the music, all oh. of it, the filming, the filming of it was great. Just like how when they're running, it reminded me of Jaws a lot, especially yeah. when they were like, when they brought the beast in. Like, just it was done so well. Like for comedy, yeah. it was like done like an adventure movie, like a thriller slash Indiana Jones type movie, yeah. but for kids. So I think I think that's why I like, loved it so much. It was so entertaining to watch. Like. Yeah. Some of the close-ups and the, the steady cams and just like how they set everybody up and mm. to make everything look so much more drastic. Loved when the beast, the story of the beast came. Oh, and like, you know, remember like being in fifth grade and like just coming up with stuff, like you said, like folklore, like the one guy that you see all the time. Like there was this guy who, who would walk around all the time with um uh, in Mineola with like a shopping cart and you kind of like made up the guy's name. I don't know who was the first guy to say the guy's name. And then you came up with a story. I don't know what the true story of that guy was, but we all had a story. They even had that in Home Alone. So like, I loved it. All right, here's the story of the beast. And right away, Squint is like camp out. So now they're at the treehouse. First of all, remember, they didn't like him at first. Also showed that before Smalls got Smalls is the name, they hated him. They were mean to him. Yeah. Mean. Totally. L7 loser. Like, oh. woof. Squint's not a nice guy. Squint was actually mean. Actually, Squint One of the meanest of the group. One of the meanest. And he sexually assaulted a lifeguard. <laughs> like, oh. he is a maniac. That kid was a deviant. I was unbelievable. Yes. I mean, I... And, and the, the, the thing about that scene is that in the lifeguard scene, how old is that lifeguard? Dude, I don't know. Let's say he, even if she's in high school. Right. Because she was just like working there for the summer. They get married. He's, <laughs> fifth, he's in fifth grade. So they're like 11. All right. Age doesn't matter. But like, she liked that? She was what? Let's say she was a junior. He was in fifth grade. She's I mean, six. good. I guess good. She's sixteen. Okay, so I mean, I guess good for him. I don't know. Well, I don't want to. I don't know what to say about that. Fucking great that he was like I've been playing it for years. It was funny, but yet everyone listened to everything Squint said. Yet he knew nothing. He just like made things up. He was like the leader. Tells the whole yeah. story about the beast, which yeah. was great, exaggerated story. But why is everybody listening to Squints? There's like, no reason to listen to him. No. no. But they all did. Because he has glasses? But there was the other kid that had glasses. I don't know. He Wait, was the leader of the stories, and everybody just listened to him. Well, no one questioned anything he said. Well, it's funny, because before when you said, there are no girls in this film except for the one mom, right? And then Wendy, the, the lifeguard. Yeah. But the kids never talk about girls. They never part of their, their whole history or their story. But as soon as these kids, these fifth graders, which that I have to talk about too, because like Benny is supposed to be in fifth grade and then 
at the same time, so smalls. Like, it's crazy, like, what fifth grade, right? But then I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is so weird. Another another mention of Matt Antonio. When I was in fifth grade and I was, I was friends with Matt Antonio, he looked like he was in, a senior in high school and I was in fifth grade. The kid, yeah. You know, so maybe, right? Yeah. But um, anyway, <laughs> this guy, he's going to become a legend on this. Sir. Maybe. <laughs> but, yeah. but as soon as they get to the pool, they all are automatically horny. I don't know what happens. They get to the pool and all of a sudden it's just like girls everywhere. And now it's time to stare at them. Right. Like Ham looks at all the, I mean, that was really funny. I mean, he walks through, he like poses for them and then blows kisses and cannonball like, and gets them all wet. But then they're all staring at Wendy on the lifeguard stand. And it's such a weird scene because it only happens, and then all of a sudden, wi- girls are out of the question. No more. No more talk of girls, or no more talk about girlfriends, or maybe anything. It's just this one scene, so you can get Squints to drown himself, to... <laughs> <laughs> he drowns himself, and then she does CPR. The weirdest part of the whole... There are two things. One, she throws her whistle, which you should have probably blew the whistle to get back up from other people. She takes it off and tosses it. I don't know why you would let her would throw their whistle away. She jumps into the water and gets him. She picks him up out of the water. She does CPR. At some point, Squints opens his eyes, makes the weirdest, craziest face, and winks at everybody. But everyone sees it, and no one stops him. No one stops her. She goes in one more time. Everyone has seen the, seen this kid wink at the crowd. They know. And they're like, all right, I guess this is happening. We're all going to consider yep. this, like, this like, a sexual assault on this like, lifeguard. And then it's cool. They said that it was horrible what he did. And at the same time, it's like, but he was an awesome man. He was our hero. It's just like, that's not a good yeah. And then he stares at her and she winks at him. Then she yeah. has a problem. She's got to be 16 years old. And she's like, yeah, that kiss was hot. <laughs> that was a problem. That was a, Dude, that was- it's just confidence. It was confidence. I guess we're just looking at it as the uh, politically correct 2020 people. And back then it was just, you know, he showed confidence. He was a I fifth grader who, who was like, confidence. you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, he was a fifth grader who showed confidence and like in the end ends up marrying and has eight kids with her. Yeah, uh, nine kids. Uh, so nine, nine kids. That's did what it was. Go, did you go to the pool when you were in uh, fifth, sixth grade? Yes. Yeah. I did. Did you like going I to did. the pool? <laughs> I yeah, I mean I did. Uh I don't remember being that that crazy. You know, you just went with your family and then you left. I do remember going there a couple of times though. I used to go with a lot of people, a lot of friends from like Hampton Street. I went. So, yeah. No, it was cool. I mean, so I get the movie was like jam packed with also, you have to remember, this is supposed to be for kids. It's supposed to be fun. So, they jam packed all the different things that you could do all summer. Like, it couldn't just be about baseball, right? So, they had to put the local pool in. I guess it was cool to see that, okay, they do think about, you know, love and like, I guess you could say teenage love or pre-teenage love. And then, you know, there's other things like you get the rival baseball team that happens, which I'm not really sure what happened. Like they weren't that great. 
No, so. I don't know why they had your uniforms on either. You know, I thought they were going to at least put up a fight after the, the dissing that went on. So that scene, when they pull up, first of all, the music that's playing, when, the bike, when they pull up with their uniforms on and their bikes, and you, you could tell it was like the rich kids versus like, you know, the dried out Sandlot kids. The dried and, uh, out Sandlot kids. <laughs> you know, like basically the misfits of the school. And then you got the kids that, you know, probably went to like private school or something. And you would think that that game that they played was going to be close. And it wasn't. No. Like it didn't even show that they were good at all. The, the montage scene was funny with Ham making oh. fun of them. Oh, that was great. And then just that fight, they were going back and forth. But that shows you, like, that, so there was a part where, like, they're just insulting each other, like, being, like, someone's fart, someone's dirty shoe, dirty underwear. And then Ham says it. You play baseball like a girl. So it didn't matter that the guy made fun of his mother's underwear. Yeah. But once you called him a girl, woo-wee. That was it. That, that threw it over the edge. So the yeah. game was on. And then the game was just a disaster. They didn't even put up a fight, the preppy boys. It was so weird because if you compare this to the Mighty Ducks, the other team that they their nemesis team destroys them the first time they play them. And then the second time they played them in the championship, it comes down to a shootout, to one goal. It shows something, but maybe you're right. Maybe it's because this movie's not about totally about baseball, but the fact that like baseball has created this moment where all these kids become friends. So the game wasn't really the most important part, but as much as that, like they overcome things together or they come together and do these things. So they, you know, wasn't time to have a game, but I wanted that scene to last longer. Like I wanted more jokes from Ham. I wanted more jokes from other people. Like that kid that played Ham, he's the star. To me, was like one of the best actors in that whole film. I mean, his dude. Jokes- he came up. He came up with "You're killing me, Smalls." I say "You're killing me, Smalls" now to this yeah. day. Yeah. Like when someone just didn't get what I said or whatever, I'm like "You're killing me, Smalls," and the, the stupid joke of like, "What? <laughs> How could I have some more or something if I haven't had anything?" Like. Ah, it was so good. Yeah, Ham was great. You know, Small was good. Small and, and Benny were good. They were fine. But Ham was like, it, stole he, the show. You needed him in that movie because, like, truthfully, that kid had some of the greatest one-liners of the whole film. And really, again, like, that baseball scene, he makes that, that scene. He makes that scene, like, him being the catcher. And part of me just wants it to be like, maybe he just improvised all those things. But of course he didn't. I mean, obviously. I mean, unbelievable. He was so funny. But then after that, they go to the carnival and they do chewing tobacco, which gross. Absolutely gross. But carnivals look terrible. I don't think I'm going (laughs) ever going to go on a carnival ride. When you really look at them, it's just like, how can we spin people in a circle as fast and horrible as possible? That's all, every ride. Every ride is just a circle. Like you just spin someone in a circle, just spin someone in a circle. And I looked at that. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm ever going. And didn't Benny buy them all tickets? Again, it's on me. Something Benny's dad is rich. <laughs> Benjamin I don't know Rodriguez has money somehow. I don't know. Benjamin how- Franklin Rodriguez has Ben Franklin's like <laughs> all the time. He's all about the Benjamins. Dude, that's why he was called Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez, because he was the one that was funding the whole crew. Basically, Benjamin needed them to be able to play baseball. 
like he was using them as practice. Yeah. So he's like, I'll fund this crew. Yeah, I'll fund this crew. Here's some tickets. But I want to know how a fifth grader got his hands on chewing tobacco. That guy looked like he was like 25 years old. <laughs> it was the, he was the most excited. And I've never seen, he put like a fist of chewing tobacco in his mouth. He was like, ha. Oh. I was just like, oh, no, no, no. Dude, another great scene though. You felt sick watching it. I thought it was done really well. I thought it was shot well. I mean, gross, but definitely one of the better shot scenes of the movies. It's, I mean, it was great. It, it just, I don't know any really bad parts. I mean, we could dissect like, yeah, no parents and yeah. other stuff. But then like, you know, <laughs> even like go back to like the story of the beast, like the myth of the beast, like the way that was shot, the black and white, you know, the exaggerating, like kind of like silent movie type shooting so it was great and then you know of course the next scene what is the next scene they're just now they're so they throw up he's not feeling well they go play baseball and benny rips the skin off the baseball and then before that they had the fourth of july scene which i love that scene they're like the oh. night game ah oh, i mean that one of my favorite like i've uh, i love that scene to think about real block parties and real neighborhoods and people like being together and of course even during this time when we have the world burning to the ground and you know we're not allowed out and doing stuff but the idea of people being together and just these kids going to play one game a year at night and all the fireworks it really hit me in the heart i was I, it was at some point i just stopped thinking that like yeah we're watching this movie for the podcast but i was just like this is super enjoyable. It was great. It was like America, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it reminded me of all the movies that take place around that time. I guess a simpler time, if you want to, if you want to call it, well, for some people, for some people it was a simpler time. Not for everybody. Uh, not yeah. for everybody. But yeah, yeah the, the fireworks scene was great. It was <laughs> awesome. And then, the, so that goes back to also like, it was like foreshadowing how like everybody was watching the sky while Benny was, you know, he just wanted to play baseball. Yeah, he just wanted to play baseball. And it just made me think a lot about my childhood over and over and over again. Just, and then I was, I was talking to someone and just telling them about playing, which now, in hindsight, the name of the game is just horrifying. But whatever, you know, this is what it was called. <laughs> Manhunt. And now, like, that's a, not a good name for the game, <laughs> for a game. But... You know, having so many kids to like run around and play like a hide and seek team game and everyone not caring, like the kind of neighborhood being like, I guess kids are jumping over our fences or something. But it was just kind of awesome to kind of think back on those things and how much I did enjoy those moments and to think how good it felt to kind of think back on those times, you know, it's like the power of this type of film. Oh, definitely. Definitely. That game, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what else you would call it. Better hide and seek group hide and seek. What a great game to play in the neighborhood. And I don't even know if kids really play that anymore. My nieces and nephew don't really do it. But I brought it up the other day and I was like, what? That game was so cool. Like, that was the time that you got your neighborhood kids to just hang out. And none of the parents were worried. So again, back to like a simpler time. Like nowadays, it's just, whew. So. I think we tried uh, when we were a little older to play it at once. I think at a party. (laughs) We did. Not a good idea. Um, a bunch that of was that was little running around the neighborhood. 
that, that, that went back to uh, I think we got in trouble because we were 17, 18 year olds playing it in people's yards and stuff. You've now become breaking and editing. I, I remember uh, me and Brian, that was where little body, little body, oh shit came out of. Oh, yeah. This house. <laughs> <laughs> I was on his back and I fell flat on my face. Oh my it was God. ridiculous. That was stupid. But yeah, um, yeah. great times. I was smiling the whole the whole movie. The whole time. Yeah. It was just everything about it. Even like, oh, we got into the biggest pickle of all time. You know, so Benny, the next scene is like, they're playing baseball. It's just a regular thing. You know, Benny knocks one out of the park as usual. But then this time, no, he didn't knock it. Smalls catches it. But yeah. it's torn apart. Yeah. So now it's like, oh, you know, oh, we can't play baseball anymore. And they're so upset about it. And, you know, Smalls wants to be the man. And he goes and he grabs the Babe Ruth. Now, at that point, how does he not know who Babe Ruth is? Like, they didn't talk about it? They did. Remember he made that list of things to remember, baseball things to remember, the Great Bambino. But he didn't know that the Great Bambino was Babe Ruth. So he – and. I'm always in my head being like, how did he, wouldn't he just go look that up? And I'm like, wait a second, there was no such thing as Google or anything. And he can't just go look it up. But he could have asked somebody, like anybody. I mean, you know, I guess ask your stepdad, even though he, your stepdad's Dennis Leary. And he, he did throw a baseball <laughs> at your face. I mean, yeah, he hit you with a baseball and then said to you while with a stake on your face, Gotta watch out for the curve. I mean, you literally, like, you basically just said, I hit you in the face. But you could have asked him. But no, he grabs a baseball from his, his stepdad's den, signed by Babe Ruth, and brings it to go play with. My question is, how did no one see the signature on this baseball? I blame the pitcher. <laughs> Bro, he's the one that gets it last, right? But if you watch the scene, he throws the ball, and then he starts warming up with everybody. But, yo, he has to adjust that ball. Mm-hmm. You're telling me he didn't see that ball, the but, signature? You didn't see no. a pen on that ball? You didn't see anything on the ball. Like, not one kid, the pitcher, when he had the ball last, no one saw a signature on the ball? I couldn't. Come on. No. Yeah, exactly. And then he, yeah, Smalls hits the ball right over the, uh, right over the fence. Boom. Yes. And then we get to the heart of this movie. The ball goes over, and they're all excited. And he is upset because he thinks it's a signature by a girl, That's Baby right. Ruth. That's right. He and thinks- he's, only, he's just upset that there's a ball that was signed that he came and played with. They don't even know how bad it is. First of all, I don't care what you get at the end of this movie, the murderous role or whatever. Uh-huh. That's a ball signed by Babe Ruth. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. And it wasn't even a ball signed by Babe Ruth. Wasn't it like Dennis Leary's father got it signed and gave it to him? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's not even just a ball signed by Babe Ruth. This is a ball that your dad got signed by Babe Ruth for you and then handed it to and handed it down to you. So it's like a family. It's it's like a this is a this movie was about masculinity and, and this is a father passing something down to his son which and then maybe dennis leary would have passed it down to him maybe after he threw it at his face but he would have maybe th- gave it to him <laughs> <laughs> but he uh 
Yeah, so it's more than just the ball. It's it's a memory of his father. So literally Smalls totally disrespects all of that and hits that memory of his dad over a fence and then a the, the dog, you know, grabs it, you know, mm-hmm. he grabs it. And yeah, right. This is where the heart of the film, like kind of the pickle that they were talking about comes in. But we got to be how far into the movie at this point? Pretty far. I mean, you've built up a lot of characters at this point. You've noticed that they're, well, you had to, right? Because why would they care about Smalls if they didn't start liking him and that they would do anything for him, yeah. right? Yeah. So you had to build this all up and had to be the end of the summer. So like this, that's why basically the Sandlot isn't just about this beast, right? That's just the end. They foreshadow it in the beginning. The camp out happens, but like the whole thing in the middle is like the, you know, the sandwich, bro. That's like the pepperoni, the cheese, the, t- you know, everything like, you know, they were getting it all ready. And now we're about to eat that sandwich. All right. Because like, they had to go through all those things that we saw, them beating the team, them going to the carnival, cheering Squints on because he was like the man kissing the older girl. Because then why do I care if I'm, yeah, yeah, why do I care about Smalls if I didn't like go through the summer with him and experience all these things? You know, when you throw up together, that's, <laughs> that causes a lot of good friends, you know? <laughs> So when you throw up together. It doesn't it doesn't matter what causes that throw up, what vice causes that throw up. When you throw up together and you're there to help a friend out after he throws up, yeah. You 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 get closer. And um now this is the best part. The and movie could end it right here. Let's go talk to Mr. Myrtle and Squints shuts that down and everybody listens to Squints. That guy is a menace, man. He wanted to see all these things. He wanted to be the guy who calls out all the different operations that they're in. Yeah, you know, yeah. like had that idea. He's like, "Well, why don't we just go knock on his door?" And Squint shuts that down. <laughs> you could have gotten the ball back, like you could have gotten the ball back, but no, we we have to listen to Squints because I don't know. Like, I guess no idea why we listen to because he's got the box because Squints periscope. Quint, no, because Squints' grandfather was a cop. That's oh, why you listen to Squints forever. Uh, yeah, forever. Ever. He's the word ever. So now we get into the whole like we're kids and we're trying these crazy things. I love this scene. Love the it. scenes that happen. The growth of like it starts off with just a stick, you know, the faces a there, and it's a, yeah. oh yeah. Stick, then pot attached to the stick. Uh-huh. And then you got what? What do you Rebound. got next? The erector set? No. Oh, three vacuums. No va- First of all, where are they getting these vacuums? <laughs> We're going back to the vacuums. Who would let them take these vacuums from their house and put these all, all together? Yeah. When I was thinking of my childhood, if I was to come back to my house during the summer, that was when there were questions to answer because it's like, why are you back? And then if I went into somewhere and was walking out, walked in the house quickly and out of the house and I was carrying something, that's when someone's like, where are you going? What do you have there? What are you doing? I just can't walk in the house and out of it with a vacuum cleaner. 1962, those vacuum cleaners, not everyone had one. So you, this is an appliance that is only in certain households. So I'm going to say this. I'm going to throw this theory out here. Benny 
his dad was a traveling salesman who sold vacuums. Shut up. And he made a lot of money. Or his dad owned the Hoover Company because Benny was the man. And, and that's how you would have three vacuums, bro, because those vacuums were new. They weren't old vacuums they got from the junkyard because the people were able to use them. Or they were Timmy's va vacuums and Timmy's mom and dad owned the Hoover company. And that's why they were never home because they were so busy making money selling vacuums. There's a flaw. I don't know. Because I don't know where you get the three vacuums and then how you, how you are. I want to know how they set up three vacuums to then merge into one pole where all three duct tape. Are, duct tape duct tape Fix, fixes everything <laughs> duct tape duct tape makes a a tripod connection of a vacuum that that's, was one of the most amazing i would never have thought of doing that though as a kid i would have just been like oh god i probably would have knocked on the door <laughs> i would have been like the hell are you squints i'm knocking on that door i gotta get the ball today i can't just like make a plan <laughs> When's your dad coming home? In a week. All right, let's figure this out. By the time you get the ball, it's worth nothing. It doesn't matter. Like the dog has chewed it, spit on it. It's it's all done. Like the ball's worth nothing now. If he got that ball back and handed it to Dennis Leary, like here, Bill, it would have been like, what the hell is oh, this? Oh, you're dead. You're dead. First of all, I'm divorcing your mom. Small, <laughs> small should have just ran away. Like the movie should have been like Radio Flyer. Like, oh, and I knew you were gonna say that. I'm like, there's no, dude. <laughs> they would have, it's like, we can't get the ball. Someone have a wagon? I gotta build a plane out of this wagon. No kids should watch that movie. That was not a movie for kids. When my mom and dad rented Radio Flyer, we watched it, and I remember their faces like it burned into my head. I looked over at them, and they're like, Oh shit, why did we rent this? <laughs> but then at the end of that film, spoiler alert for Radio Flyer, the kid makes a plane out of a wagon and basically is flying around the world? Like, I don't know what Dude, we're about. watching that film, by the way. I'm making us watch it because I was watching Santa and I was like, oh, this reminds me of Radio Flyer. The mom almost looks like the Radio Flyer mom. <laughs> that film is horrifying. Dude, wasn't Tom Hanks the narrator in that film? Yeah, Tom he's, Hanks he's, was the he's, he's, in that <laughs> film, and Elijah Wood was the young Tom Hanks. Oh, that film. Dude, that film. dude I was watching this film, and I was like, I can't wait, talk, <laughs> wait to tell Dan I all this reminded me was the radio flyer. So anyways, that's what oh, they should have said, that this is a spinoff on how small should have just left <laughs> In the radio fly. Yeah, he should have left because he, he had no... The whole film, he's scared to death of Bill. He died of a heart You're telling me at some point after the ball went over, those kids didn't go, all right, Smalls, we got to get you out of here. <laughs> <laughs> your dad, your stepdad is terrifying. He threw a ball at your face. <laughs> we got to take that stick and make a bindle out of it and tie a little package on it. Hey, Benny. Go give him some money. He takes out a hundred and gives. <laughs> Squints, I'm gonna show you how to jump on a railroad. Take these vacuums. We're gonna make a radio flyer out of them. Take these vacuums. We're gonna hook them up to a push cart. We're gonna make a car. Oh my out god! Of you. Here we go. <laughs> oh my Dude. god! No. No way.
This the the movie this movie just took an old turn to Radio Flyer. We haven't even seen it. I can't. Seth Smalls. Smalls is Bobby from Radio Flyer. I mean, kind of. He did get hit. So, I mean. Yeah, there's, there's a beast in that. The dad is the beast in Radio Flyer. Did they call him a monster of some sort? Oh, God. Yeah. He put, used to put the cable in the oven. It was terrible. Well, All right, so let's, on the let's, let's go back to this light to be an of flyer All of a sudden, radio. Dude, all I could think about was radio fire, and I was like, "Is was that a good movie or a depressing movie?" Dude, all I remember that movie was super depressing. It was not a com. No, it was not a comedy. Dude, it was not a comedy. It was nothing funny. No. So all right, so, radio fire. So let's go back to the, the, the different things. Okay, so the vacuum, the vacuum blows up. Timmy takes it on his fault. And he's like, we're just going about this all wrong. So, so then they get yeah, yeah. To, 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 uh, Paul E.D. from... Uh, yes. Sure. Yes, I, uh, I definitely was like, is this Paul E.D. before he was on the Jersey Shore? When they take yeah, yeah and put him in a... Some sort of pulley system I to grab the ball. Where they got the money to fund all of these contraptions. One, where they get the pot? Some someone's house is without a pot now. Uh, <laughs> then they make that pulley system. They need they need levees. Ham was like they made some pedal system with some ropes, and then they dangled yeah yeah into the thing on another. Dude, these pulley. guys are really smart. They were really smart, and they had a lot of time and no parents to to stop them like <laughs> like no crazy. parents would be like what are they doing out there with all that rope and the pulley system they're on the bandsaw outside making some sort of crane <laughs> yeah and apparently only two people lived in the back of the sandlot which was timmy's parents that's where my theory is going and mr myrtle because all this was going on and nobody noticed like what these kids were doing the guy was hanging from a treehouse yeah no hanging. one saw this Mr. Yeah. Myrtle didn't call the cops. No. Don't you think Mr. Myrtle will get like a delivery of food every once in a while? And like, even back then, like there was milkmen and all that stuff. Like, wouldn't they be like, what the hell is going on in this backyard? Yeah, someone would have to bring him something, right? So where is it? Whatever. Oh God. So, so you know, yeah, yes thing doesn't work out. No. Are no. you in the radio flyer hole? Is that no, what you're for? No, no, I was trying to look at a Reddit thread on where this treehouse was. <laughs> I was just dying. Oh, dude, I'm telling you, some people just believe it was attached to the sandlot. But if you watch it, when they're done, when the erector site, site gets destroyed, Smalls and Rodriguez walks out of the uh, yard and they walk into the sandlot with a, a very nice painted red fence, maroon fence. Which is where is the backyard of where the uh, the treehouse is? Uh, okay, I believe that because it couldn't have been in the sandlot because then a bunch of also, kids would be sleeping in a baseball field during the night. That would be not safe at all. I don't think anyone's parents. I mean, as lax as they were to let kids do whatever they want, I don't think they'd be like, "Yeah, go sleep in a baseball field randomly." No, and if you look at the, there's a shot where they have the treehouse. Yeah, 
it's next to the house. It's not parallel oh, to the to the house. Uh, Mr. Myrtle's, I mean. Yeah. I have confirmed the theory, oh. and I don't really care if everybody doesn't believe me. I think it is. Basically, it's probably Timmy's house. Yeah. And that's that's what most conclude because he's the one that built it. Yeah. I don't know why his parents don't come out, but they don't. You got an opinion on where the tree house is in the sandlot? We'd love to hear it. Leave a comment on Twitter or Instagram and let us know where this is. Or some believe that it is attached to sandlot, but if you look at the grass, it just doesn't make sense because the sandlot didn't have really great grass. It was yeah. all like gross and like fenced out and stuff and yeah, whatever. Like, but like the fence was good. I saw a picture and I'm like, that definitely isn't the back of the sandlot. Because back in Santa, I looked dangerous. I mean, Smalls almost killed himself the first time he tried to catch something. So, and they also have a swing set that they jump on or through next to oh, when the right. uh, vacuums blow up. Right, that's right, that's right. So yeah, it's probably in Tim's and Timmy and whatever the, his brother's name is uh, house. So, but um, but then the next scene is the erector set that they. The, they take all of Small's erector set pieces. They build one of the most elaborate erector set contraptions I have ever seen. Have you ever used a, an erector set? Um, no. Me neither. I, I was like blown away by it. Dude, he was good. Small's was really good at that. And I thought it was insane. These kids all were pretty freaking smart from five-year-olds. They should have been like science champions. What they came up with they made a catapult that's probably not in the instructions of the erector set instructions <laughs> it, it probably was after this movie if it oh. wasn't then the erector set people messed that up i thought it was great i thought it was gonna work yeah but uh obviously it didn't and uh yeah the beast destroyed it destroyed it oh man he destroyed that erector set but like you know i'm thinking of how he built that and what was amazing was the not just what it looked like, but the way it was all connected with the switches and everything. And I'm like, wow, I'm like, this, how does that, like, I didn't notice that the first time I saw it. I was just like, you know, I'm a kid. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. But now I'm like, wait a second, how is this all connecting together, like with the switches and wires? Where, where is all this happening? I mean, imagine, again, you would have to imagine these kids are either riding their bikes with all this on it. Or, you know, they bring it to Timmy's house and they're constructing a gigantic erector set tunnel that goes over into another yard. And then an erector set catapult. And then they launch it into the sky. I mean, it was unbelievable. The whole thing was amazing. I, I was just blown away by how that worked. And again, this is the fun of this movie, right? Like, this movie was fun. And, and they didn't let up. As soon as Smalls was friends with them, it was like, boom, boom, boom. Everything is happening. Let's do this. Everything was just so awesome. You know, then you have a scene with uh, Benny. He talks to uh, Babe Ruth's ghost, which that was weird. You know, I mean. <laughs> didn't What's-His-Name have it also? Uh, he had a, a Babe Ruth dream, yeah, but Benny's was different. Yeah, I forget what his dream was. Something that was really weird. I forget what it was, but... The one thing that was weird about Benny's dream was that in his dream, Babe Ruth steals from him. He takes that that Hank Aaron baseball card from him. Can I have this? <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? It's just like, all right, I want this. I'm taking it. Okay. Like, Dude, it was ridiculous. That whole part was weird. I thought it was just like, okay, this is just another kid thing that was going on. 
I, I, I took it for what it was. One of the best, like, I guess, nostalgic for parents that were watching this was the radio flyers. So that was the next scene. So the, you know, the jet had to prove that he was the jet. So like With the PF flyers, like the PF flyers, not the radio flyers. We cannot stuck it in my head. <laughs> radio flyers stuck in my head. The PF flyers, the new box, new shoes that are going to make a kid run faster than before. Again, Benny shows up with a new pair of shoes. Where is this kid getting money? Where is he getting money? Where does he get shoes? Where is he getting money? He's got the best haircut. I don't think I saw Benny wear shorts once in this whole film. I'm sweating thinking about it. I'm wearing pants right now and it's hot in here and I'm sweating. I don't know how. No, he wasn't wearing shorts. Benny doesn't like shorts. Luis Mendoza does not wear shorts. No, he does He's, well, he was getting ready for his, you know, Mighty Ducks 2 part, you know. Yeah. No shorts in Mighty Ducks 2. But, yeah, he gets the PF Flyers. They take them out. They look awesome. They kind of look like the Converse. They look pretty similar to the Converse sneakers, which I was really weird for me because I was like, oh, are they brand new Converse? Oh, no, they're PF Flyers. So, but it was really kind of cool. And he goes for it. He jumps over that fence. He goes to get the ball by himself. Because, you know, Babe Ruth told him something. What was it? Legends never, uh, heroes, heroes are never forgot. I don't know what he said. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so, <laughs> Babe Ruth stealing the something about legends and heroes. Like uh, heroes are cheer, legends are never forgotten or something like that. Yeah, and then give me so, that Hank Aaron card. <laughs> yeah, but he had to buy a new, new pair. Couldn't afford that ball. So that uh, you know, Smalls didn't have to go get the the uh, the ball. The ball, but he could afford a PF new pair of PF flyers. They didn't have ninety eight cents for a new baseball. No, but he had money for PF flyers. He had and, money for a new pair of sneakers. They had and for the carnival, and he had an extra hat, and he had extra gloves, and he apparently had the only bat of the crew. Um, <laughs> So the, the name fits Benjamin Franklin. That guy was the money guy. Yeah. And he also had money to get the replacement ball while they were trying to get this other ball. So well, they apparently, if you listen, he did say round up some change. So he got people to help on that one. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they should have did that to begin with. Uh, but okay. So he jumps over the fence to get the ball and meets the beast and he's just you know just like you know whatever dog yes he goes face to face face to face they base this the the soundtrack again i love all the soundtrack every scene has every it's done so well it's the like face off like the western you know who's gonna draw first yeah you know i love you know at the whip at the whip i love it was crazy and what's funny is like the budget of this movie was only $7 million. And the music, the soundtrack was amazing. I, I, it was unbelievable. I mean, j- just to compare it, the budget, of, well, uh, the budget of Radio Flyer was $35 million. <laughs> <laughs> Radio Flyer was $35 million to make because it cost that much money to try to figure out how to make a plane out of a freaking wagon. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, Bobby could never afford it. Yeah. <laughs> but the soundtrack of Sandlot was amazing. And this scene was one of my favorite scenes. But I'll tell you one thing that I realized now watching it back. 
was there were too many scenes of this dog's junk jumping over stuff. There was too many close-ups of this dog's, this unneutered dog jumping over the camera over and over again. Just like, it was, it was insane. Every time this dog, I'm like, here we go again. And it's just like dog balls flopping over the camera. And it was just crazy. Every shot. I was just like, didn't the DP figure out at some point being like, I don't think we should do this anymore. This is really weird. <laughs> Talk balls. I, that's funny. Uh, I didn't notice that. I did notice this the first time you heard shit in the movie. Well, they said Which I didn't twice. realize. Did they? It was said twice. What was, the, what was the other time? When Squint sexually assaults the lifeguard, I think one of the repeating brothers says it. I think he says, oh, shit. Uh, oh, I think he says, oh, he's in deep shit or something like that. And then. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so they were allowed to say it twice in a PG movie. They said, oh shit, when like the dog jumps over the fence and starts yeah. chasing Benny. And then, you know, the different scenes that are going on, like, like the Wipeout song, oh, yeah. um, just going through the whole town, the founders like get together. Why that's in there where like the cake goes in the air and goes over the cooks? Like, that's just like slapstick. That like, was- whatever just is just funny and then you know they're running back and the kids can't keep they they can't even keep up they're just watching this the kids are watching benny run through town i want to know how much running happened because that there's i was exhausted (laughs) ham would never have made it there's no way that kid ran the whole time ham should have been like yo i'll just wait until this is over I'm just gonna sit in the sandlot. I'll be here if they come back. I got it. If this was done now, people would just be like, "Benny, we gotta strap a GoPro to your uh, to yourself. You're gonna stream it live so we can watch you. Like, we'll we'll be here. You tell us where the, you know if you if you can out outrun the beast. Yeah. If this was rebooted, which don't no one do that. I don't want anyone to hear this podcast. I know everyone in Hollywood is listening to the Nostalgia Test podcast. But oh yeah. Don't reboot this movie ever. But if they did, this would be a parkour scene probably, or at least 10 years ago would have been a parkour scene where this character, Benny, would have been running and jumping and flipping and doing all sorts of stuff to get away from, I guess, his dog. Um, and it would have been terrible. And then it would have played some weird song that would, no one would have cared about. And then they would have ran back and it was, just would have been terrible. And actually... Mm-hmm probably it would all just be esports so then no one would be outside and it'd all just be inside anyway. They'd all be playing like MLB on like the on like on like PlayStation 5 like where it no, they can't reboot this movie. So now we're we're watching Benny run through this whole thing. He's doing crazy things. He's running everywhere training to be an MLB player because yeah, this, this is how good. you train. You go against the beast. Okay. Then he goes back to the sandlot. So you're back to where you came from. Basically, like in baseball, you go run home. Nice. You're going back to the home plate where it started. He's running home, jumps over, is about to get destroyed by this beast, and the fence falls on him. And guess what? This is where, again, you realize that all these people, except for Smalls and Benny, are assholes. These oh, kids yeah. are not nice. Smalls right away, even though he's afraid of the beast, 
He's afraid of the unknown. You know, he hears all the stories of what the beast is, but he's still caring. He sees that he's hurt. And it's like, it's like that's a huge message right there. Think oh, about yeah. it. You know, oh, yeah. never met the beast. He's just heard stories of what the beast is, how mean the beast is. The beast is horrible, terrible. This person is terrible. That person, this. And then goes and helps him because he's like, oh, he's hurt. He's hurt. The only other person that helps him is Benjamin. The yeah. other kids just stay there and watch them lift this damn fence. They're willing like, to let this dog dude, die. Yeah. Damn. Terrible. No, they're monsters. Those, these kids are not nice people. Okay. No. They're not nice, especially squints. Like, totally not, not with helping Smalls. No. I thought the repeat kid was going to help a little bit because he seemed to be a, a nicer guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely not because, no. yeah, yeah, he's ready to go to the club. But, like, <laughs> I, I just don't understand. Everyone else is just a mean kid. Like, would you like any animals? Like, what the hell? Like, the, guy, the dog is hurt. So now, all of a sudden, Mr. Myrtle comes, the meanest person in town, right? But wait, can I just say, he never came out at any point. A gigantic portion of his fence just fell. Broke. It made fell. a huge sound. And he's, no one has no. come out of the house yet. Timmy's no. parents, no one. If they live next door, Chain, they here. Chain broke. Dog ran away. First of all, then, oh, we skipped over this part. The beast gets up and licks yeah. Smalls. Yeah. Yeah. Licks Smalls. Right. Very, all of a sudden, all the stories, the exaggerations, the kid's story of how bad this beast was, debunked. Yeah. They show Ooh. him the baseballs, yeah. and they're like, we could play forever. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. I, I mean, and this is funny because this is how, watching it now, how accelerated the end of this film is. Because this is the end. It's so, like, basically, this happens. And the and then there's like a like a voiceover narration, you know, after they meet James Earl Jones's character, uh, Mr. Myrtle, and the movie kind of ends. But I, as an adult, wanted more James Earl Jones. Like I yes. was like, oh, okay, I love this scene, and it was like gone. I was like, what? Oh, no. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, they put James Earl Jones in because, like, you know, he's like the father of baseball movies. <laughs> uh, has like the best voice ever. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to hear more stories about him. Like, how did he know Babe Ruth? Like, yeah. and let's talk about, you know, you being an African-American uh, baseball player and how tough that was in the time that, you know, you yeah. play. During like, the 30s. Like, I mean. You know, let's get, let's get real here. But then it wouldn't have been a, a kid movie. <laughs> it would have been like, right. <laughs> really serious turn. And Radio Flyer 2. Like, <laughs> This is terrible. Terrible. What would this episode is going to be just about radio oh, fire? Yeah, we have to have it. What the hell is radio But yeah, so they meet Mr. Myrtle. One of my favorite things that James Earl Jones does is take the ball that he had and smelled it. And he's like, well, you're in trouble. It's like, <laughs> what? Yeah, what no shit. Your dog from? ate the ball. First of all, how does he, when he smells it, he's like, oh, babe sign? No, he didn't know babe sign. No, he didn't know, but he's he like, let's go it. inside and talk about this ball. I'm like, what did he Yeah, do? and they're all like, sure. And the, the other kids didn't go. Like, it just shows you how much they, nobody trusted those other kids. Like, no. Benny, like, made friends with Smalls because yeah. Benny actually was like, I hate these kids that I play with <laughs> all the time. This other kid moved. Yeah, the other kid I was probably to- his best friend at the time. I was like, don't go and leave me with these crazy people. And then it's like, it's like, oh, God, I have to deal with this. And thank God Smalls was there. <laughs> I know. 
Maybe the hat That's... and that glove was the other kid's hat and glove. Could have been. Yeah. But that kid could have been Bobby who ran away in Radio Flyer. He showed up to San Fernando Valley, made friends with this kid. He's like, my stepdad knows where I am. And he had to get in his wagon plane and get the hell out of there. That's a go off. Oh, my God. So, uh, it was Bobby. It was Bobby. So they talked to Mr. Myrtle. You find out that Mr. Myrtle, first of all, I just want to say, the gross depiction of Mr. Myrtle that squints when he tells the story of the guy that played Mr. Myrtle. And then you find out it's the awesome stoic james earl jones i was just like what the hell <laughs> so when your dad or when your grandfather or whatever told this story is that how he described mr myrtle to you like that's racist your 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 uncle's a terrible racist he was like when he totally just disregarded this person like whatever yeah he was just a dude this is what he looked like i don't know i wasn't paying attention who cares? We're going to chain this dog up for the rest of its life under the house. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I want to know how that started as a folklore. You know, obviously they made it all up. But like, uh, for, and then uh, Mr. Murdo is so nice that he just gives up a ball signed by Murder's Row. Like, just totally was like, oh, yeah, sure. Just take this as long as you come and talk to me because I'm lonely and nobody comes here, obviously, because they think I'm crazy because there's a story going around how nuts I am. <laughs> this goes back to the Home Alone. goes back to the Home Alone guy, the guy with the salt. That's and right. Like, right? And, like, yeah. where Kevin meets him at the church. Yeah. And he's, like, a really nice old man. Like, that's the whole storyline. Like, yeah. you know, the made-up story of the crazy guy that's in town. Yeah. And the fact that he's actually a human and nice. Yeah. You know. He was a great baseball player and he got hit in the head with a baseball and went blind. Yeah. And now he lives in like a rundown shack junkyard. And everyone Porterville. Thinks, yeah. Everyone <laughs> thinks he's this weird like cartoon of a person because some racist cop told everyone what happened like in, a, in some other story. <laughs> And his idiot grandson is running around telling this crazy story to everybody. No one wants to go see him. It's 1962, and poor James L. Jones is sitting by himself. He knows Babe Ruth. Like, I mean, uh. he's got like every autograph of like every baseball player ever. Yeah, why didn't top. Babe Ruth help him? <laughs> it's like, oh, you're blind now. Get the hell out of my way. You're not yeah. gonna beat my record. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I love James Earl Jones. Anytime I see him in a film, I'm just like, yeah. I'm like, I love this. Yeah. I, I, and then, like, you know, now then you get, like, the narration of Smalls talking about how the rest of the year went, how long Hercules end up living. Yeah. And you, I love the scene. Like, they're fading away, and he's just saying what they all, like, yeah. turned into. Uh, one part was when what's his name the guy with what's the guy's name the, the kid with the glasses that bought the tobacco what is his name yeah. Birchwood Birchwood yeah something like Bert, something like that they're like oh yeah he got really into the 60s no one's seen him I'm like yo he was killed like, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought I was just like he didn't just disappear he's dead he died he's like, dead no yeah. he died in an over he got really <laughs> he got really into the 60s and uh, we haven't seen him since yeah well that's because he's dead 
Yeah, that's a good, yeah. Bertram Weeks. That was uh, that character's name. Yeah, he got into the sixties, and uh, no one ever saw him again. It's just like, yeah, well, because he died of an overdose. That's, that's probably he what did, happened. He did acid and walked off a cliff. Okay. Yeah, of course. That's the character that would do that. He's the one that bought you the, the chewing tobacco and's like, hey, everybody do this, and you know, everyone did it. It's like, of course, that was the character that did that. That was weird when they were all vanishing. I, I forgot how like dramatic that was. I'm like, oh my god, if they didn't really have this voiceover, you would think that they would all be dead. Like, it was just like, yeah, oh it was. It was kind of watching like uh, the photographs in like Back to the Future when they, you know, they're fading away. You're like, oh, they're all dead, but no, they're just, you know, yeah, it was good. It was very dramatized. It was it was done really well. And then I like how like all of a sudden, which this kind of is a little weird, but now Smalls is working as a Baseball announcer, yeah, for the Dodgers, yeah, following Benny. So, like, are they in love? <laughs> I'm putting that out there. I'm putting it out there. Annie, I think you've hit on the exact <laughs> thing about this. Like, there's a love story between Smalls and Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez in this story because at the end, when he turns around, he like Benny steals home, you know, as a Dodger. And he's wearing number three, which was, you know, Babe Ruth, one of, uh, Babe Ruth's number. He turns around and he gives him a thumbs up. Like, he looks for Smalls. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah. And just was like, I don't know. These guys, you know. Well, I mean, it's, I mean obviously, the big it's romance. that they're really great friends. That, you know, big romance. They stayed friends this whole time. And Smalls is doing anything he can, obviously, to be with Benny. Because now he's announcing his game. So that I'm assuming that. Most announcers will follow the, the team. So That's he's always game. announcing his game. Awesome. So he, they've been friends since the beginning. Why? Because Benny needed a good friend, and the other ones were just assholes. You're absolutely right. He needed a good friend. They were – the other kids were, you know, the friends at that moment, right? They're the friends that you have, I guess, for that summer or whatever, and then everyone moves away. But the real friend was, you know, Smalls and Benny. Everyone else is kind of, you know, and poor Kenny DeNunez, which was the pitcher, the only black kid in the group. And his story was like he got to AAA baseball, and then it's like, yeah, but he never went pro, and now he coaches his kids' uh, games. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> Like, you couldn't give him a better storyline. Yeah, one guy definitely died. But, like, the other kids, like, what, invented mini malls. The other guy gets the girl that he assaulted, which was, you know, that's not a good lesson. Ham, what did he do? He did something. The great great Hambino, a pro wrestler. Yeah, he's a pro wrestler. And then um, whatever Yeah Yeah does, I forget what he did. Yeah Yeah uh, did something with bungee jumping. Oh, yeah, he made bungee jumping. And and, and then this other kid tries to be a professional baseball player, doesn't make it, so now he just coaches his kid's baseball team. Ah, who cares? (laughs) 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 That poor character. (laughs) That poor character. (laughs) Oh, my God. But he gets to star in every single Mighty Ducks Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, he kills it in the Mighty Ducks and Mighty Ducks 2. And let's just say that, you know, Dennis Leary was very nice in the end. He only uh, grounded Smalls for a week. Only a week, dude. I'm sorry, even if you give me the other ball, I'm just still pissed off because you know the ball is worth more when it's just Babe Ruth. And plus, that was his dad's ball. And that was his dad's ball. (laughs) God, (laughs) he should still run away. Smalls should still run away. And let's let's be real here for a second. It's 1962. No one got grounded in 1962. 
We know he got beat. Yeah, he got hit. <laughs> he got smacked. Yeah, which there was no grounding. No, no. He got smacked it's really hard. He basically had to stand behind there and get a curveball yeah. shot to his face. Yeah. The dirty old Babe Ruth ball got thrown <laughs> at his face. And Wait, Smalls, no, but didn't he keep it? Didn't Mr. Myrtle keep the dirty No, no, but this was the punishment. The punishment was <laughs> Bill put him in the backyard, and he was like, you cannot catch this. You have to stand there, and we're going to – we're gonna, I'm gonna pitch this at your face. Yeah, yeah. And that's your punishment. Like yeah. that, that had to be his punishment. I mean, the mom was totally okay with it because way in the beginning of the movie, she called her kid an egghead. She literally says to him, "You'll just be an egghead if you have an attitude like that." So everyone was really down on Smalls until like he met Benny. So I mean, really, he needed Benny. And then he became a very famous radio announcer and he kept for Benny. That, and then he obviously got the ball back from Mr. Myrtle when he died because he has the ball up there. He has the ball he, Benny signed, the Babe Ruth ball that he ruined, and then the murderer's row ball. He had all of them. So in the end, Smalls wins. <laughs> Smalls. Smalls wins. You're killing oh. me, Small. Dude, so th- this, this is a long one. It was all over the place. Yeah, but... I have to say... I was going to make fun. Well, I guess we kind of made fun of it. But at the same time, like, whew, man, this is it. Did it pass the test? Absolutely. In my, my opinion, absolutely. I couldn't wait to watch this again. Mm. I will watch it. I'll probably watch it a few more times in the future. I think it passes it with flying colors and it continues to be another good movie. Yeah. Another great movie. Great kids movie. Coming of age movie that you could recommend to anybody. I have to agree. I I think 100% this movie passes the nostalgia test. It is not just nostalgic. This movie is a good film. I would tell anyone to watch this movie. Please watch this movie. It is one of the greatest coming-of-age stories. It is sure with its problems, but the core idea of friendship and just a summer of fun and using your imagination and, you know, finding out who you are and all those good things that happen in those great coming of age stories like stand by me, but with no dead body, this really is (laughs) a top notch film that I would watch over and over again. I definitely will watch this. And of course I'm a sucker for a good baseball baseball movie. So, you know, this is not just a baseball movie. It is definitely just a friend movie. And I I absolutely enjoyed it. And it made me think about all the summers I had playing, you know, roller hockey or base basketball, um, just constantly every single day, just doing that. And it really brought me back. It was really great. Excellent film. Yeah. Wow. Watch the movie. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you think about the movie. Oh, Uh, if you watch this more than one time, would you if you have kids would you have it would you watch it with your kids have them watch it and uh what was your favorite part and whether or not you believe that it was timmy's yard or was it just the part of the sandlot of where the treehouse was that's going to be a debate for the ages like where is that treehouse manny any and final please don't, word? Rem- please don't re- yeah, don't remake it. Oh, don't reboot this. Dude, leave this alone. No no one should ever reboot this. You know, write another baseball film. You know, don't don't reboot the Sandlot. This is leave it alone, please, cuz really you'll fail. <laughs> you can't remake this film. 
they tried to do like the bad news bears and it was terrible. Yeah, you can't you can't redo it. You you can't. There's just there's just movies that need to be left alone. Sandlot is one of them. Just one of my favorite movies. Absolutely. Manny, any final words? No, I can't wait to for the next episodes. No. I don't have any other final words except we will be watching Radio Flyer. Uh, <laughs> because I didn't I did not realize how great of a reaction that we both would have over oh. it. Um it's gonna be a depressing, depressing podcast. Yeah. Uh, but I do want, I do want to watch it. I do recall it being uh, a very crazy movie. So. Absolutely weird movie. Absolutely. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Nostalgia Test podcast. We look forward to hearing your thoughts on Instagram, and Twitter, and, and leave comments, subscribe, like the podcast, do all those good things, and uh, we'll see you soon in another Nostalgia Test. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe to the Nostalgia Test podcast to know when new episodes drop. Don't forget to leave us five stars and a positive review so more people can find the podcast. Share your thoughts and memories on today's topic on our Twitter, at Nostalgia Test, and on Instagram, at The Nostalgia Test. Tune in next time because you never know what pop culture will pop up on The Nostalgia Test. <laughs>